Welcome to Let's Talk Memoir, a podcast for memoir lovers, readers, and writers. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my guest is Joni B. Cole, who is the author of seven books, including the new release, Party Like It's 2044, Finding the Funny in Life and Death, and two acclaimed writing guides, Good Naked, How to Write More, Write Better, and Be Happier, which was listed as a Best Books for Writers by Poets and Writers Magazine, and Toxic Feedback, Helping Writers Survive and Thrive. I can't imagine a better guide to writing's rewards and perils than this fine book, wrote American Book Review. For over 25 years, she has taught creative writing to adults through her own writer center in White River Junction, Vermont, through the Dartmouth Writer Society, and a diversity of academic and nonprofit programs across the country. She is a contributor to the Writer Magazine and Jane Friedman blog and hosts the podcast, Author, Can I Ask You? Welcome, Joni. Ronit, thanks for that lovely introduction. I am so thrilled to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to get my hands on this conversation and to get all the knowledge and insight you've gleaned over these many years in this field and as a teacher and writing workshop leader. I was hoping you could share a little bit about your new book, Party Like It's 2044, about the inspiration for it and the time period over which you wrote these various essays. Oh, yes, of course. Well, you know, it's funny for Party Like It's 2044, there were myriad inspirations. It's a collection of essays, and um, I didn't have a big, oh, I want to write about this theme, you know, grief or childhood, or, but things would happen, little interludes, and I thought, gosh, there's something to that moment, that story, that interaction, and that's where I would start these essays, and so there was lots of little, little sparklings of inspirations, and I would say the book proper, most of it I wrote over a year and a half after I got a contract for it. But mm. two of the pieces were in a previous collection of essays. And one of them was a leftover from a failed book that was going to be all letters to dead people that I thought would be fascinating. <laughs> and I, I won't say I wasted a year or two on that book, but it, it, the only thing that came to fruition were one of the essays in this collection. So mostly a year and a half, but you know how it is. Some trickled in from the past. And uh -huh. When you first wrote an essay or two, did you know right then and there, ooh, I want to I make a book out of this? Because I know you, you must have sold it on proposal, right? I did sell it on proposal, but I had a hefty amount of it written both to build my own confidence and because mm -hmm. I know you know this, it's hard to sell an essay collection. And particularly a weirdo essay collection like mine <laughs> and it is weird because as one of the reviewers said it is the voice that holds it together there is mm -hmm. there there is an undercurrent of a singular theme but I only discovered that almost when I was finishing the essay so it's not like it's one of those really tight essay collections that makes it easy to package and mm -hmm. easy to sell and um and the very style and form and format of many of the essays are all over the place. So I really had to write enough so that if a publisher was going to be interested, it, it would be in the in the writing style, in the voice. And right, right, thank right. Thank God they, they like the voice. 
Yeah. Well, I also want to go back to what you said about wasting a year. And then you said, <laughs> well, not wasting a year. But I do think this is a really important point because I like to be pretty efficient. And I want to believe that the things that I'm working on are heading toward a goal and a final product. And I also know at the same time that really, I've learned we don't waste our writing effort. We might not be doing writing that feels as natural and fun and inspired to us like that happens to me sometimes where I feel like I'm just beating a dead horse which actually I hate that expression but I feel like you know I'm just sitting there making myself do something and I think I can get that confused with that feeling where you do have to put your butt in the chair and write sometimes it doesn't feel like it's resonating with us and we keep on going anyway and sometimes we really feel we're onto something and then we let something go so what what do you make of that and how do you really think that you wasted the year no I think that there's a lot of hard lessons not only that we have to learn as writers but we have to I have to keep relearning and relearning Mm. and that is that no writing is wasted it all contributes to whatever comes next it's a generative process and The words you don't use are helping to generate the words that come next that you will use. So it's a hard lesson because wouldn't Mm -hmm. I love to sit down and I know what I want to write and here's how it's going to flow and then I write that. (laughs) But um, I've embraced that, though I have to remind myself to embrace that, that it is particularly, I think, our genre of memoir or personal essays. It is a discovery process Mm -hmm. and we're trying to figure something out. So it makes sense that we don't know exactly what we're writing about often or how we're going to write it or where it's going. So no, n- no writing is wasted. And um, But I do have to remind myself of that after a day that feels very non-productive. Mm-hmm. I also think it's hard because there's a sense for me, at least when I'm writing, that I might be following a hunch. And I believe in the hunch. I believe in it enough that I keep on working on that piece or that project because I have to hold this hope and this sort of assumption that I'm working towards some type of outcome that I want to see in the world. And so I think it's hard because I'm similar in the sense that I worked on a proposal and a project I really wanted to do, a nonfiction book. And then I realized after only sending it out to a couple of places that I actually didn't want to write the book, nor was I really qualified to write the book. And I had, I think, maybe three dozen books. I'd bought you know used and stuff that I've been researching I was so jazzed about this project and then I just sort of realized I want to read that book I don't want to write that book (laughs) that is so relatable that's what happened to my (laughs) defunct letters to dead people which I still love the concept where I would write to these people from history who had really either inspired me or shocked me and through that and our one-way correspondence I would learn some things or discover some things. I still like the concept, but it just was a hunch that didn't play out. That said, though, hunches or simply a a scene that I have faith in, usually for me, is all I have to go on. I really am a writer who writes blind most of the time. Mm -hmm. And I just have a moment that made me smile or made me feel a little bit, something's wrong, something's there to discover and I have to just play it out and and then when I play it out that's usually only you know one scene in the piece I still don't know what it's about or Mm -hmm. why but I I kind of just keep tickling it and Mm -hmm. man that takes a lot of faith my one of the one of the favorite pieces of writing I ever did is I think it's in Good Naked and it's the church of the creative process and it is about how much faith we have to have that 
if we stick with something, often there's something there and we might have to pivot, but mm-hmm. it will be productive. Even if the end product doesn't, doesn't follow through as we thought it might have, but that faith is, well, we know faith it's, it's, you know, you, you, it's tough. Sometimes you lose mm-hmm. it, but, but I can't afford to lose it because all I have are hunches or faith mm-hmm. that there's something there. Yeah. And you, now you've, you've spoken a little bit about your typical approach to, I guess, writing an essay or, or beginning to germinate this idea and tickling it, but which is a funny way to think about it. But yeah, um, I never it does... used that analogy before. <laughs> I know, but you're right. So what about your revision process? And, and I understand that it might be different for different pieces. But in general, can you talk a little bit about how you approach revision when it comes to essays? Yes, I'm I'm all about revision. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Like there is nothing there unless I revise the bejesus out of it <laughs> and figure out. And I actually love the revision process. For me, that blank page, it was first, that rehearsal draft is the most difficult one because of that faith issue sometimes. But because I teach writing and I really know craft and I love the craft of writing, I love narrative techniques. Revision is where things come together, where I discover what I'm even trying to say, where sometimes something that's well done will become inspired. And so I I am all about revision. I make a joke in one of my writing guides that, you know, well, it, it probably takes about 40,000 drafts. And while obviously that is an exaggeration, <laughs> I do feel like, you know, it is not a once and done, right? Rewrite mm-hmm. kind of thing. And embracing that for myself, and I think for a lot of writers, embracing that that the magic and the wonder and the discovery will happen as you revise is actually comforting to me it does help me finally eat some some early drafts down so i'm i'm all about revision and even a line edit i've had essays that turned on a line edit where they were really well written at that point i still didn't know what they were really about they weren't giving me that tug on my heart Mm -hmm. and in revising maybe a sentence and doing some line editing all of a sudden I'd realize, oh my gosh, this is why this piece matters to me. And then I'd go back and sort of massage a little bit. It often didn't take a lot, but so, you know, revision to me is where the magic happens. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you would read that excerpt we talked about, which actually begins the essay, The Other Woman. (laughs) Um, And then we can talk about it. Of course, you can set it up if you want to, but I don't know that it needs it. Um, Well, the essay is entitled The Other Woman, and because I'm going to be reading from the very beginning, I don't think it needs much set up other than um, I will give a caveat that it doesn't put me in the best light as a writer teacher, so please. please I know. Are you you disappointed that I chose this one? I really like this essay, partly because it was one of those ones where I had to just dig deep draft after draft and finally figured out what am I trying to say, which will not be apparent in this opening, but here we go. So it's called called The Other Woman. Not everyone is equipped to work well with people. Truer words, but I never expected anyone to think such a thing about me. Yet those are the exact words shared by a disgruntled former writing client who has written me a single-spaced, three-page letter explaining why she cannot, in good conscience, recommend my services, should anyone ask. Really? I tossed the letter on my kitchen counter. I am not equipped to work well with people. I beg to differ. I have taught hundreds of writing students. 
people who take my workshops again and again or work with me individually, often for the duration of their projects. Many of these people have become good friends. Indeed, in 20 plus years of teaching, I have received lots and lots of thank yous, lauding me for my insights, my positive attitude, my encouragement and support. Many of these appreciations I have kept in a sunny yellow folder on the bottom shelf of my bookcase. The folder is labeled, Nice Things People Have Said About Me. The signature on the letter is a name I don't recognize, a name I have changed in this essay to Donna, inspired by a girl I knew in middle school who also made me feel bad about myself, but for totally different reasons. No, middle school, Donna, I cannot do a split, and thank you for pointing that out during cheerleading tryouts. <laughs> but who is this letter-writing Donna who feels the need to disparage me as both a teacher and a human being? Just listen to this nonsense she spouts on the page. I value constructive feedback from an expert. This is not about the thickness of my skin. Rather, it's about the self-awareness, empathy, and social skills that contribute to one's emotional intelligence and your seeming lack thereof. Really, Donna, thereof? I Google Donna's name, but nothing pops up. Right there, it seems that should disqualify her from judging me. Maybe she is just a private person, but on the other hand, you would think her name would at least be in the minutes of some PTA meeting or public works committee. In attendance, Donna. Oh, wait, strike that. Clearly, our Donna has no problem ignoring her civic duties so that she can stay at home to compose hate mail to me. The letter had been enclosed in a sealed envelope with no postage, only my name, Joni B. Cole, handwritten on it. My friend, Frances, with whom I occasionally share an office where I teach writing workshops and where she practices New Age healing, had dropped it off at my house while I was out doing errands. On the outside of the envelope, Frances had stuck a post-it note. This is for you. Have a beautiful day. As is her habit, Frances had signed the note with a heart. Because the letter, weirdly enough, bore a date from over a year ago, I'd assumed it had been accidentally mixed in with Frances's client notes or divination cards, and she had only recently come across it. Likely, she thought she was doing me a favor, delivering it to my house with a sweet post-it. I reread the pages once more, then stuffed them back in their envelope, my fingers already anticipating the satisfaction of shoving Donna and her low opinion of me in the trash. This is my usual MO whenever I receive an unpleasant communication on paper or online. Who needs all those rejection letters from editors, polluting my inbox with their negative energy? Does it meet our needs? Did it pique our interest? Before submitting, we recommend you subscribe to our publication. Delete, delete, don't bet on it. Then I changed my mind for one particular reason. In the letter, Donna references one of my books for aspiring authors, in which I include what she describes as a, quote, mean story about a former workshop participant. Such vitriol, Donna writes, for someone who paid you good money to help, not hurt. Hold on there, I think. Donna had missed the entire point of that story, which ultimately demonstrated how the workshop participant had overcome her defensiveness and learned to listen to feedback and effectively apply it. But now it seems Donna is using that story as context for delivering a not-so-veiled warning. Don't even think about writing me in one of your little books. Ha! 
Dream on, honey. If I had not already been thinking about Donna as material for a future essay or chapter, I certainly was now. (laughs) Okay, thank you for doing that. I appreciate that you were game. So did you know from the moment you got this letter, you would need to write about it? And and does it still nag at you that you got this letter? I'm, I'm very curious what has happened in the time since you wrote it and published the book. Yeah, it still nags at me. I'm still mad. <laughs> but, um, well, you know, it's funny. It very much does represent what I was talking about, those little inspirations. So something happens. I was deeply, I don't know what, offended, annoyed, mm. um, upset, you know, disgruntled when I got that. So, yes, it had that resonance. I don't know if it was quite as quick as some of the other things that have happened to me because this was an essay that was – tough to write because I didn't know what what do I really want to say about it yeah it's it's an entertaining story to some degree and at my expense but also at Donna's expense if I wasn't careful and I I don't like writing where let's just punch down let's make fun Mm -hmm. of someone let's show someone who who you know maybe had some interesting behavior so I certainly thought there was something there but it took a long time to figure out the what about what this is about, where I felt like I wasn't doing a disservice to her and I had actually grown from the experience. But I Mm -hmm. am still mad. You better believe it. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever find out who it was or... Or did you? Did anyone else follow up with you about it? Well, she had signed her name. I obviously didn't use her real name. And this was another interesting part of this essay was I felt it was extremely important when I did excerpt that letter to use actual excerpts. I didn't want to mm. stack the deck. Obviously, in essays and in memoirs, we have to manufacture dialogue. We're not carrying mm. around recorders. But I did not want to make her say anything that she didn't really say. So... I know her real name. Mm, I just, right, right. I actually don't remember it, but because I haven't looked yeah. at that yellow. It is in my folder right under my sunny folder of nice things people have said about me. So. Yes. And then other writing peers of yours who have read your book uh, or who know about this essay, has anyone reacted in a way that you find interesting or worth mentioning? Have they said, wow, that's amazing that you excavated that letter in such a public way? Or is, has there been anything notable about the reaction? Well, we all do that dance, don't we? No, there hasn't been other than people, some of my friends had my back because this was a one-off in many ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, I am a very nurturing writing teacher and I am so on the writer's side. I know the struggle. So it's hard not to be on the writer's side because I'm actively writing and I understand, you know, the challenges and the rewards. So certainly that reaction that people had my back, really, you know, she thinks you're a bad teacher. (laughs) But but I think that the reason I'm actually very honored and glad that you asked me to read this essay because it ends up not at all being a commentary about Donna. The Mm -hmm. essay ends up being very much a commentary of perhaps why she had reacted to me in the way Mm -hmm. she did, something that I unknowingly was doing that Mm -hmm. I wasn't aware of. And so, so in that sense, I hope readers really find value in that in terms of Mm -hmm. both understanding a little bit more about, you know, my behavior, but also how it might maybe reflect on something a reader is doing as well when they put people off. Mm, wow, yes. Very instructive that way. You founded 
the Writer Center of White River Junction in Vermont, and I'm hoping you can share just a bit about the work you do with writers. I know it's such a giant topic, and it's your life and your career, but maybe you can talk a little bit about what writers searching for a workshop group or instructor might want to keep in mind and your experience at this center that you established. Sure, absolutely. It's just such my passion. I was so unfit to hold any other job over my <laughs> lifetime, my professional lifetime. And then I think I have a little bit of instinct for teaching, but I just read and read and read and studied craft. And that's one of the things I think that that aspiring authors or seasoned writers for that matter, mm-hmm. when they when they shop around for a workshop, is it craft based? You know, there's this ridiculous rumor that goes around even in MFA programs, you can't teach creative writing. And that's just BS. Creative writing at its heart is craft. And obviously, as I mentioned earlier, there's some kind of magic where the whole becomes greater than the sum of the parts. Mm. But you can get there through craft and craft is accessible. We know what the narrative techniques are that make a scene. We know how to balance scene and summary. We know what strong openings are like. Um, We know how to create profluence with plot. We know that essays and memoirs need plot. Right there is an insight. So look for a workshop where you feel you're really getting tools that can help you get from that first draft to whatever that last draft is. And I am a huge proponent of the power of positive feedback, which means teaching stories from their strengths. Certainly positive feedback can make a writer feel good and nurtured and that is a beautiful side benefit but the power of positive feedback I also think helps the writer understand more quickly where they're already applying craft Mm -hmm. in a way that's successful and to replicate that so they can build their work from its strengths up it also offers perspective so a balance of a workshop that really makes you feel like, well, of course you can do this, along with the techniques, the constructive criticism, the specific feedback, both positive and instructive, you know, that that can really help you meet your goal. But I know one thing, when you find a a one-on-one mentor or a workshop, your ultimate response, I think, after each meeting should be, you can't wait to get back to your Mm -hmm. desk and keep writing. And there is no way brutal brutality, brutal honesty, or certain certain types of feedback engender that kind of response. So if that's not what you're feeling, then then there are so many good workshops out there. Find another one. Mm-hmm. And so many online as well. Oh, gosh, uh, yes. Yeah, mine's, on, mine's online. Most oh, of it is. Oh, it's online. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's when COVID great. happened, I went 99% online. And so it's so fun. People in Europe and yeah. Hawaii and different time zones. And so I love it. Yes, I do a lot of, I I attend classes and I teach classes online. I really do like it. So for very new writers, those who have the inclination and ambition have, you know, let's say a hunch that they are good at this, they have a voice, but feeling there's so much to learn. What strategies do you think they can use to grow and get better quickly? And I know they should go to a workshop, maybe find some people to write with, but what are ways that you can grow and get better fast? Yeah, well, certainly by doing. I you know, I think creative writing is one of those disciplines where a little lecture quickly gets overwhelming. So you really do, I feel like, need to learn by doing it and certainly paying attention to what 
you feel is the strongest element. But I think instruction, like any discipline, whether it's online or through a book or through reading by reading as a writer, is really paying attention to what is working or having people instruct you on these techniques that help you to to achieve your your um, narrative goals is really is the fastest way. Writing in isolation, usually we do that because, especially newer writers, we do it out of fear. Oh, but I'm not good enough. Oh, this is embarrassing. And so really make that leap and know that there's nothing to be ashamed about. As a new writer, mm-hmm. there's nothing to be ashamed about in a first draft. A first draft isn't a blank page. You should kiss that first draft no matter what, <laughs> you know, no matter what. I mean, my first drafts, I don't think a, an, an ounce of them remain intact by the time I'm done, but thank goodness for them. So, you know, that courage to to begin to write and get responses to your work by somebody, a workshop or another writer writing partner who can really give you honest and encouraging feedback, I think, is the, the best way to get better quickly and and to also stay excited about your work because just to get a response to your work, even if it's not word perfect or far from it, that animates the process. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of times when I write in solitude and 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 don't want feedback. Mm-hmm. And and that's a very healthy response a lot, but then more often I think we hold back. And don't share our work in ways that can can slow us down or have us de-energized. So, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of good books on craft or the creative process as well. So that's another way. If you if you really aren't quite ready to share yet, then just read a lot. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you've published so many books. Uh, you have a lot in in your in your wheelhouse, and I'm wondering if when you think about your publishing experience as a whole, do you feel like you're at a point in your career where you know if you write a book, it will find a home? How, how does it feel to have so many books behind you? Yeah. Ronnie, I'd say I'm exactly at the opposite place. You know? <laughs> I'm always like, oh Surprise! my God, somebody <laughs> actually wants to publish my book. So it's just still, still a thrill. Um, But just like we, you know, I feel like if you know craft and you're willing to revise, you can get to where you want to go. I do feel, especially now that there are a lot of routes to publishing, Mm -hmm. if you really study the routes to publishing and think about what fits your book, then you will find a way to bring it to your readers. So so that's a that's a comfort. I mean, I'm traditionally published, and like I said, I'm just astounded and so <laughs> grateful. But I feel like if you want, if you're a writer and you want a book out there for readers, it's really neat that there are more paths to publishing now than there used to be. But you just want to remember, even though some of those paths have a lot fewer gatekeepers, when that book's out there, you want it to be the book you're proud of and so mm-hmm. you don't want to race to that path you know to that publishing outlet yeah. until you really feel like this is the book I'm proud of but mm-hmm. yeah so I'm I'm just grateful when I like I have a contract for an, another collection of essays and I I you know I'm just I don't understand I put it on my refrigerator so I can believe it <laughs> I'm like, you know. is it with the same publishing house this one is it is and like mm-hmm. I said I'm really grateful first of all I love this publishing house and they're they're the perfect fit for me mm-hmm. because 
they're traditional, which I want as a writing teacher. That I do feel is important for, for myself, for these books. And um, they understand my voice and they give me a lot of leeway and, mm-hmm. and just the right amount of editing or suggestions. I'm someone who a little can go a long way. And so it's a beautiful fit. I really like my editor. She, she's so nice to me. <laughs> well, I've, I've had, I've had editors. I've never had a nasty editor, but I have editors who just have ignored me. And, mm-hmm. and this editor was actually wanted to meet with me every week. And I'm like, why? Because we, I don't think I showed her a single essay until I turned that book in, <laughs> but it was like, she knows my name. She gives me time and oh, wow. it's like, oh my goodness, that's quite a different relationship than I had with other editors who I would turn the book in and and then they'd say, looks good. <laughs> and I'd be like, well, one editor, seriously, like I didn't hear and didn't hear. And then finally he leaves a message on my machine and I it was back in the days when we had to get to hotspots with Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh my God, I bet he's going to pull my contract. I bet he's, you know, hates it. And so I get on the phone with him finally, and he says, oh, I think you, I think you misquoted Confucius. There was a quote about from Confucius in there. And I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) He happened to be a Chinese scholar. My books have nothing to do with Chinese scholarship, by the Mm -hmm. way, but they just happened to be. And, And so I made myself ask, well, did you like the book? And he said, oh, yeah, you hit it out of the ballpark. I'm like, couldn't you? Couldn't you? (laughs) Just say that. But that honestly has been more my experience that both when I get published in magazines or in, you know, have books is I hear very little from the editor. So this editor, I'm grateful that she, she's willing to talk to me on Thursday afternoons. That's really nice. And I'm glad you get to work with her again. Yeah, she's lovely. On the subject of publishing books, you wrote a piece for Jane Friedman's blog about preparing your book to enter the world entitled what to expect when you're expecting a parade and in it you share your experience with sections entitled expect snafus expect crickets expect to fall back in infatuation and there are more than that can you share a bit about what you've learned about book launches with in using these sections you can talk about it or however you want to approach that oh sure sure it's a funny thing for me and it's probably very different for other authors but when a book comes out in some ways for me it's a really private party because I think I've learned to expect the opposite of what we think we're supposed to expect which is parades and things like that and big launches and whatever often a book enters the world because there's just so many books that that are entering on the very same day your baby is born, Mm -hmm. that it's a quieter entry. And so I have really learned to have my own private celebration because I do think, obviously, writing a book is an achievement. And so when you do that, anyone out there, when you do that, you make sure that you celebrate it yourself, regardless of whether you get inundated with emails, congratulations, or reviews, or whatever. So, so... I say in this essay, tongue-in-cheek a little bit, you know, to lower your expectations, but I think more make sure your expectations are are coming from within more than external mm. validation. And that said, external validation is great, but so, yeah, it talks a little bit about that discrepancy between what you might be expecting and the reality, and then the categories one was expect snafus, because this book, more than others, just like 
all these little things went went wrong. Like, I don't know how one of my reviewers on the back of the book, their name got misspelled by the time it made it onto Amazon, which has kind of embarrassing, you know? Mm, and, mm-hmm. you know, and then my local bookstore where I was doing an event didn't order the book or they thought they had, but they hadn't. So, you know, those little snafus were something I hadn't really been expecting. But now that I am, I think it's a good reality check for all of us. They can be fixed, but it's sort of on us, the author often. Yes. Oh, my to, gosh, You yes. know, our, our besieged publicists cannot be taking care of everything. And the other thing was a beautiful expectation, though, which is anybody who we talked about the revision process, Ernie, you and I, and so you can imagine by the time I'm done with that friggin' revision process, I, I could recite my books backwards, forward, and pig Latin, honestly. Uh-huh. So you're you're rather tired of them by the time they're midway through production because some of the revisions, at least in my case, happen through production, those last-minute word changes. But then, thankfully, you have a lull and you don't see the book for quite a while. And I certainly didn't look at the manuscript. I think I buried it under the cat litter box or something because I could not <laughs> look at it one more time. But... With that law and then revisiting it when the book did hit the stores, oh my gosh, I wrote about this expect to fall back in a infatuation. I love my new book. I love it. I mm-hmm. I just needed distance and and thank goodness I worked that hard on it because that's why I like it. You know, there aren't yeah. any words that I thought, oh, I could have done a little bit better. I'm sure other people will find some, but not me. Well, so. I just don't think we can we can overemphasize how I mean, we know this is a very solitary path, being a writer, except for these times when you get to connect with other writers and you connect with readers. But it is true that we have to be the self-generating source of energy and creativity and hope and ambition and, you know, hustle, right? There's just so much. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, for sure. So what about uh, as we get to the end of our time, I'm curious if there's something you can share that you think writers who are new to memoir as a genre, new at writing it, might misunderstand about it. Yeah. Oh, don't you think there's, I mean, you're such an expert in this (laughs) genre. There's just so many things that are misunderstood. One, I think, is that people sometimes question their right to write Mm, a memoir. And my goodness, it's your truth. Absolutely, you have a right to write your story and and to rewrite it so that it's meaning and communicating what you intend. So we certainly have a right to tell our stories. If you have any doubt about that, you know, then let that go. I think people also sometimes think their stories aren't worthy of memoir or the mm-hmm. matter. And if you look at, for example, my personal essay collection, there cannot be smaller stories in there. Mm-hmm. You know, they're more about moments. And yet there was mm-hmm. something meaningful there. So it's how you write it. It's not that the story has to be dramatic or even traumatic. And so mm-hmm. certainly if something, if something, you know, is, is just nudging you or you, I loved your word, you have a hunch that there's something there, trust that it's going to probably be a worthy story if you, if you play it out. And, um, you know, people think that others, readers might not care about them unless they're a celebrity, which is just not true at all mm-hmm. so again it's that issue of faith but my goodness we certainly our stories oh my they're so deeply important and frankly I think it's our stories that are going to save the world and something's got to mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. so absolutely if you have that impulse to write a personal narrative please 
find the courage to do that and find a support system that that helps you do that. Mm, thank you. Are there memoirs that you especially appreciate or that you would like to recommend? Oh gosh, there's so many, aren't there? Um, yes, I know it's really hard. And also, if if you have like a really long list, I mean, I'm going to put them in the show notes so that people can find them. But if there are maybe four or five that yeah. offhand you would love to recommend. Yeah, absolutely. This goes way back, but I remember when I read Growing Up by Russell Baker, that columnist and Pulitzer Prize, he won the Pulitzer for this memoir. I think it was back in the 80s, but I remember that was one of the first memoirs I read. And it was about his childhood. He grew up during the Great Depression. And there's such a gentle humor in that storytelling. And yet there's an awareness of the writer that this was also a hugely difficult time, you know, the Depression. and and But the way that he would make me often smile and and convey that perspective of himself both as a child and then it, it follows him as he gets older. I, I just thought that's probably it's probably a memoir that made me want to do that to write. I don't mm-hmm. write, you know, the longer narrative of a, a memoir, but to write personal narratives and and to trust that you can write a story that has a lot of in a, in a difficult context and there can still be observational humor that makes the reader mm-hmm. not smile. It's not the point isn't to be funny. The point is to make it human and, and have mm-hmm. a lot of humanity. So that was one. And I love Eudora Welty's. This is a weird one, but one writer's beginnings, because I think that that made me want to be a writer. So mm-hmm. that again is, a, what is it like? I must be like 7,000 years old because these are so <laughs> old. But I'll tell you, I, you know what I just read? Who didn't probably write? Spare. And I know it's ghostwritten, but oh, yeah. Prince, Prince mm-hmm. Harry's memoir. And I I remember reading um, Roxane Gay, Bad Feminist. And maybe it's mm-hmm. not a traditional memoir, but boy, the way she was just so funny and righteously angry and the revelation, she, personal revelation she shared. I was like a little bit like Lindy West and shrill. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you can mm-hmm. you can be that that honest and it kind of helped me find my way where do I want to be in that spectrum of how much do I want to share about myself and how much do I want to keep to myself but their their honesty Lindy's and Roxanne's was really really I think taught me a lot I mean I learned so much when I read these Mm -hmm. personal narratives I also learn I cannot stand some celebrity memoirs I just they're not they're not they don't put in the work that mm-hmm. that so many beautiful memoirists do, and it's all about just you know what happened backstage at Saturday Night Live, which of course I, I think they're more of like yeah. an autobiography. Then, yeah, you know, I think that bit, some of yeah. those celebrity memoirs are a little more of an autobiography rather than the the kind of memoirs that maybe we focus on on this on this program. You know, exactly. the memoirs that really are looking for pattern and tension and growth and self-reflection and yeah all of that the vulnerability right exactly that's the right word that said I love celebrity gossip so (laughs) I don't know who I'm kidding Ronita (laughs) no I mean it's I love to read widely and I definitely listen to a couple of celebrity memoirs on audiobook um, because you know I have to do other things in, in the house and walk the dogs and things and those are really great to to just learn about people and have a story in my ears that may not be helping me with craft necessarily 
necessarily. Exactly. Well, I learn a lot by reading works where, oh, they should go deeper. Oh, mm-hmm. don't cut mm-hmm. that corner, Joni. Yes. Oh, yeah. y- you know, because I see that book on the shelf in my future mind, you know, and I think, no, that, that, you know, first of all, I couldn't get away with it because I'm not a big name, but I don't want to get away with it. So I learn. I do also learn from books that still have their place. People might want a faster read, but I just yes. learn from them. I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So is is there any advice? I know you've been giving advice throughout this entire conversation, but last words of advice you want to leave writers working on their memoirs? I hope that they remember that writing your memoir sometimes gets a bad rap, you know, that ridiculous phrase, navel-gazing, or those accusations that it can be narcissistic. But absolutely, I think writing a memoir is an act of generosity. It's an act of courage. I think when all is said and written, or even in the draft form, since I experienced this workshop after workshop, I get to see memoirs in draft form, that even then, in you sharing your story, it's helping me expand my own range of experiences often. It's certainly helping me cultivate empathy if it's an experience I haven't had directly and, or it's relatable and makes me feel like I'm not alone. So, Mm -hmm. so man, oh man, why wouldn't you feel empowered to write your memoir? Because it's, Mm -hmm. it's just so, it's so important. And and really, I'm going to misquote this, but I remember hearing that if you don't write your story, who will? Mm-hmm. So I, I think about that a lot. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I do too. And I think it's a really important, it's a really important way that I ended up writing mine, understanding that it was okay, that I didn't have to be famous or, you know, etc. all that you said. Okay, and so last, last moment, where can people find you? <laughs> I know you don't mean this way, but usually hunched over my desk. We were talking about hunches, not physical hunches, but seriously, I have got to get better pa- posture when me I write. Me too. My husband says that to me all the time. <laughs> I mean, I look like a parenthesis, but um, I have an author website, which is com, and then my little writer center, which is actual virtual, so it's not little at all. Um, is the Writers Center WRJ.com. WRJ stands for White River Junction. So the Writers Center WRJ.com. So that's where my classes are listed. And then my author site is my name. Okay. So, so I'll put those links in thank the show notes you. as well. And thank you so much for spending this time with me and for illuminating your writing process and your work as a teacher and your new book. And I just had a great time talking with you. Well, same here. Thank you for your memoirs and this wonderful podcast. I binge listened to it the last few weeks. So I learned a lot. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk Memoir. For more about this episode and my guest, please visit the link in the show notes or on Instagram at Ronit Plank. That's R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. If you liked this episode of Let's Talk Memoir, please go ahead and share it with your friends and subscribe. And if you have two more seconds, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, which really does help other people find the show. Thank you so much for being here. 